For those of us remaining together in this space, if you have your Bible, please open to the book of Exodus, chapter 34. And the scriptures will be on the screens behind me. We'll be reading from Exodus chapter 34, picking up in verse 29. For those of you turning there yourself, and we'll read 29 through 35. This is the word of the Lord. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? Oh God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is your word for us, your people. Thank you that we are your people. You are good. And we pray, Lord, a uh, couple of requests today. We ask, oh God, uh, that you would meet with us that you would show us yourself, that you would speak to us, that we might hear your voice. I ask, Lord, uh, that you would bind my lips and my tongue, that you would not permit any false word to pass from them. Uh, move me aside completely. Holy Spirit, you have the power to skip the ears and go straight to the heart. And so to you, our hearts are open. Won't you speak to us now? We love you. Amen. So there's an experience, a common experience that we've all had to some degree or another. Uh, there's an experience where we have an expectation, an idea about something, how something's going to go, and we kind of work it up in our minds. Maybe we kind of daydream about how something's going to go. We develop an expectation, and then reality comes in like a slap to the face, right? Expectations unmet. You all are thinking of your experiences of this. I'll share with you one of mine. Uh, a few years ago, there was a secret in, uh, in my life that only two people in the whole world knew about. It was the most wonderful, joyous secret you could imagine. 
And of course, I'm talking about the news that Kelsey and I were expecting our firstborn, uh, Ellis. There was a point in time where just the two of us knew, and I remember the just ecstatic, euphoric sense of joy that came into my heart as soon as the secret was passed from just one person holding it to two. As soon as Kelsey told me, I remember that moment. I was just overcome with excitement. This baby was a longed-for baby. We prayed for this baby. We deeply yearned for this baby. And when the news finally came, I was so excited. And, And you know how this goes. In our culture, the way that it goes when you have a pregnancy is you're supposed to wait a little while until you tell people, and and then you tell immediate family and your closest friends, and then you wait a little bit longer, and then you tell the rest of the world, probably with a Facebook post, right? That's not how I do it, because I don't Facebook, but that's how many of us do it, some sort of social media post. Well, we were waiting, and I'll tell you, it was a miracle. Kelsey must have been praying for God to shut my mouth. It is a miracle, that that secret didn't grow legs and leap out of my mouth in every conversation I had during that period of time. I was so excited. I just couldn't contain the news, and and somehow I did. And, And during this period of secrecy, we began to plan and scheme for how we're going to tell the people closest to us. You know how this goes. And and we developed a plan for how we would tell my family and her family and our closest friends. And one day, finally, we were going to get to put part of this plan into action. We were going to visit some of our family members for dinner. And uh, this was the night we were going to tell them. And not to brag, but I had a big part to play in this plan. And so I was just thinking on the drive over about how this was going to go. And I was, you know, practicing my lines. And I was fantasizing about the reaction that we would get when we finally shared the news. And, and, and so the whole drive over, I'm thinking about it, and I developed an expectation. Well, we arrived at our loved one's home. We embraced, gave hugs. We sat down for a meal, and here was the plan. I was going to pray to bless the meal, and, and my prayer went a little something like this. We all bowed our heads, held hands, and, and then Kelsey's head came up, and so did her camera, and she was watching, and I prayed, oh God, thank you. Thank you so much for your love for us. God, thank you so much that, that we're all here together as a family. Thank you, God, for this wonderful meal you've blessed us with. I, I was feeling really good. It was a very, you know, <laughs> heartfelt prayer. And then I said, and God, thank you so much for the baby in Kelsey's tummy. And then I did this, and I watched. And I, I'm going to do my best to offer you the reaction that we got. Really? Oh, congratulations. That's wonderful. Oh, great. And, and, and I'm probably not doing my poor family members justice. I, I've rewatched the video, and they were genuinely excited for us uh, before the video ended. But let me tell you, my expectations were a little bit high, and this did not meet my expectations whatsoever. 
I think that perhaps Moses in Exodus 34 had this sort of experience. And we're picking up in the middle of this story. Last week was Exodus 33. This week we're in Exodus 34. And so just so that we're all on the same page, let's remember where we are in the story. For 40 days and 40 nights, Moses has been on the top of Mount Sinai having an encounter with God. Literally on a mountaintop with God. And and you remember last week, Moses was talking with God and he had this prayer. Moses was so audaciously bold as to ask God, show me your glory. Do you remember that? And God was so outrageously generous as to say yes. Moses said, show me your glory. God said, I will. And, And you remember how it happened. It was really interesting. God picked Moses up and placed him in the cleft of a rock, and he covered him with his hand. He said, Moses, I will show you, but, but you can't see my face and live. It's too much for you to handle. So I'm going to cover you with my hand. I'm going to walk out in front of you, and once I'm past you, I'll remove my hand, and then you can see my back. Do you remember that? Such an interesting, fascinating story. And so here in Exodus 34, our passage picks up when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, okay? Moses has been having this crazy experience with the presence of God. And Moses is marching down the mountain. And I'll tell you, he didn't have AirPods in his jogging playlist or or a podcast about nutrition or anything like that. It was Moses and his thoughts. And do you think he might have played through how this was going to go when he came down from the mountain? Do you think he maybe thought, oh, Aaron is going to lose it when I tell him I saw God's back. I didn't even know God had a back, and I saw it with these eyes. Aaron's going to freak out. Miriam, oh, she's going to love this story. I can't wait to tell my brother and sister and the people of Israel about what just happened. Moses might have had an expectation, but, but it gets even better than that. Not only was Moses coming down the mountain with this encounter of seeing God's glory in his back, Moses was holding in his hands the tablets of the covenant. It says in verse 29, Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. Let me tell you why this is significant for the people of Israel. This covenant law was God putting down in stone, you shall be my people and I shall be your God. And here's how we're going to have a relationship together. What God inscribed with his own finger on these two rocks was the way that they were going to live in relationship together. This covenant law was the gospel for the people of Israel. This was the thing that would make them not have to worry about the future. They're out in the wilderness wandering around. They don't have homes. They don't have a city wall to defend themselves, but they don't have to worry. When they come across and enemies rise up, they can say, yeah, who's your God? Baal? Asherah? Yeah, we've got Yahweh. We don't need to worry about you as our enemy. This is the covenant law that means when they're wondering where their next meal is going to come from in the wilderness, they don't have to worry because... God is their God. God has covenanted in stone. We have Yahweh. If God is for us, who can be against us? This is the best news that Moses could possibly give the people of Israel, and he's coming down with it in his very own two hands. But I think Moses' uh, expectations might not have been met. This is what it says in the text happened when Moses arrived down. In verse 30, when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, 
His face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. And when we take in the text in its entirety, we can discern that they were waiting at the bottom of the mountain. And then when they saw Moses come down, and they saw the stone tablets, and they saw his face radiating, more on that in a second, that they actually ran away. A bunch of grown adults waiting at the bottom of the mountain saw Moses and ran away. And Moses had to call out to them, guys, come back over here. And the text tells us that at first it was just Aaron and the leaders of the community that came back. And then they talked for a while and then the rest of the people came back. But in the same way as we can have some empathy for Moses' experience of an unmet expectation, we can have at least some compassion for the people of Israel. You see, Moses' trip down Mount Sinai was significant, not only for the reasons I've already shared with you, but for one other very big reason. This was not the first time that Moses had come down Mount Sinai with two stone tablets of the covenant law. This was the second time. The first time was in Exodus 32, and when Moses came down from Mount Sinai the first time in Exodus 32, he didn't find the people waiting with bated breath to hear what God had said to them through Moses. He found a bunch of people in revelry, dancing and singing and worshiping a a statue of a baby cow made from their own jewelry, the golden calf. You know the story. The tablets fell from Moses' hands and smashed into a million pieces on the ground. God's punishment, I think God is a great disciplinarian. God's punishment for the people of Israel in Exodus 32 was that he caused a plague or an illness to go about amongst them. Like, okay, see if you can worship this statue of a cow when you're vomiting in the desert. You know, it's it's a brilliant punishment. Moses' punishment, on the other hand, Moses was quite angry. And in righteous anger to defend the name of the Lord who just delivered them out of Egypt, he said, anyone who's with Yahweh, stand and come to me. And the tribe of Levi came. He said, strap on your swords and go throughout the camp. Go among your brothers and sisters of Israel, killing those who are worshiping the golden calf. And 3,000 members of their community died that day. I think that when the people of Israel saw Moses coming down Mount Sinai here in Exodus 34, face radiating, two stone tablets in his hands, that maybe what they were experiencing was not that moment. Maybe what they were experiencing was what happened in Exodus 32 and following. Perhaps they were having some PTSD. Here's Moses again. He's got the same tablets What's going to happen to us? And they ran. I think we can have some compassion for that. The rest of the story is is that Moses called them over. The the leaders came over first in good leadership fashion, found out everything's okay. The people of Israel then followed, and they received with gratitude the good news that God would be their people, and they, uh, God would be their God, and they would be his people, that it was a covenant law. They received it with gratitude, and, and we can read the rest of the story throughout the Torah and the books of history, but there's something I want us to focus on for the rest of our time this morning, and it's here in verse 29. 
When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. I'm going to break the fourth wall for a minute. When I opened this passage to begin studying for this sermon, I was stuck on this verse for days. And specifically this last line. He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. First, the radiant face of Moses. We, we use this phrase, oh, you look radiant today. It means you look beautiful or you look joyful. You have a great smile on your face. And, and that's not what this is talking about here. The biblical language describes that Moses literally had glowing skin, that he had light emanating from his, his body, from his face. And then it says that the reason why his face was glowing is because he had spoken with the Lord. And I want to ask you, how does that hit you this morning, church? That the face of Moses was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. How does that hit you? I'll tell you how it hit me. I began to ask myself all sorts of questions. Zach, what is your face like after you speak with the Lord? What do you look like after you encounter God? Can anybody tell? Does God make you smile? I began to ask myself these questions, and in my reflection, I've realized that so often... In my day-to-day life, I'll spend my morning time of devotion with the Lord, praying, reading the Bible, and then I'll say amen and close the book, and I'll go about my day. And maybe I give the first 30 minutes of my day to the Lord, and then the rest of my day is so often for me. This is a confession to you guys. So often, I give God part of my day, and the rest of it is lived for me. What, what happens in your body, in your facial muscles, in your soul, when you hear the voice of God, or you spend time in his presence? Moses' face was radiating. It was radiating. The other phrase that really got me, it's this little phrase, uh, he was not aware. He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. There's a common uh, ideology, a common phrase in the world of weight loss, and the numbers are arbitrary, but the principle is sound, and maybe you've heard it, that, that when you set out to lose weight, it takes four weeks for you to notice a difference in your body. It takes eight weeks for your closest family and friends to notice a difference in your body, and it takes 12 weeks for the rest of the world to notice a difference in your body. Have you heard this? And why does that work that way? Well, it works that way because when you set out to lose weight, you become a student of your own body. You begin to look for differences 
noticeable transformations in your body. You're trying to lose weight, and so you, you observe yourself. You observe the scale. You take a look at yourself in the mirror, and you're the first one because you're looking at yourself so consistently to notice a difference in your body. Moses was unaware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. You know what the Lord uh, responded to Moses when Moses said, show me your glory? God's affirmation included a description of his glory. It's going to be on the screen. It's from Exodus thirty-three nineteen. The Lord's affirmation, his acquiescence, went a little something like this. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Do you know what this means? When God thinks about his glory, do you know what he thinks about? His goodness. The glory of God is his goodness. God is the essence of goodness. The thing that God considers to be most glorious about himself is his goodness, that he is an inherently good being. He is the essence of goodness from which all goodness flows. Our annual theme for this year is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and it says a little something like this, that we all with unveiled faces contemplate and reflect the Lord's glory as in a mirror. And then it says that in this process, the Holy Spirit transforms us into the image of God with ever-increasing glory. That we contemplate and reflect the glory of the Lord, which in God's mind is his goodness, and we are transformed into that image. Moses was unaware that his face was radiant because he didn't go into the presence of God seeking his own goodness. If he had gone in seeking his own goodness, he would have come out seeing his own goodness. But he went in seeking God's goodness, and he came out reflecting God's goodness. Do you see that? Moses went in seeking God's goodness, and he came out reflecting God's goodness. There's a huge rise in spirituality in our country today. Spirituality is a big Focus, but not necessarily associated with any particular religion. Definitely not associated with Jesus. And, and the goal of spirituality is self-actualization, to become your fullest version of yourself, or self-realization, self-discovery, self-development, self-help, self-betterment. This is the idol, the temple at which we worship. And the common theme in all of it is self, 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 self. And I think that culture creeps into our relationship with Jesus. That we seek the presence of the Lord. That we listen for the voice of God so that we can get better. So that we can be transformed. So that we can grow. And that's so close to what God wants. His word promises a transformation. But we don't seek self anything. When we do that, it's idolatry. We seek God and his goodness for his sake. And when we do that, we come out reflecting it. 
Where have you seen the goodness of God in your life? What goodness of God is there in your life that you can contemplate, that you can gaze upon? I found that I don't have to look very hard. Usually I'm just too busy to notice it. But if we slow down enough to open our eyes, we see that God's goodness isn't something buried to be uncovered. It's something that comes after us. And we just have to realize it. Friends, I've seen the goodness of God. I've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus as I taste the bread and the cup of the Lord's Supper. I've seen the greatness of God, his goodness in the majesty of the mountains and the stars. I've slept under a beautiful, indescribable starlit sky and thought, I know the guy who made that. I've gazed out at the ocean as wave after wave of love hit me, thinking, how could a God so big love a man so small? Where is the goodness of God present in your life that you can just open your eyes and realize it's right here? Church, we can help one another in this. In your relationships, maybe in your small group or people you serve with at ESL or people you hang out with by the indoor playground after service, you can help one another We need to help each other reorient our focus, our gaze. You can ask questions like, where have you seen the goodness of God in your life this week? We need each other because it's so easy to miss it. Moses prayed, show me your glory. To God, the glory is the goodness. And so if you're wondering, where do I start? That's where you start. You pray and you ask. And God is so generous to give beyond what you could possibly imagine. Let's do that now. Oh, God, our Father and our friend, our Savior and our comfort, our helper and our guide, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we join in that prayer of Moses so long ago on Mount Sinai. Show us your glory. Show us your goodness. Help us, God, to develop a lifestyle of contemplation. Lead us 
not be afraid of quiet moments, but to cherish them and to look for you. That we know that when we look, we'll find. And God, as we continue uh, in worship, I want to ask your blessing over this time of offering. Will you please bless the gifts that are given, that you would use them, multiply them, make them fruitful in your kingdom. And I pray also that you would bless the givers, that you would bless them with the freedom that comes from giving things away. We enter into this as a church for your glory. And we give you thanks.